Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're continuing our series today called Israel's Greatest Philosopher. Too often we go through life assuming the answers to life's biggest questions. What gives life satisfaction? How can I find meaning? What's the point of it all? Ecclesiastes gives answers that change how we see our lives and our place in the world. Today we're talking about how to enjoy life when you can't control it. Consider the day that Portland Trailblazer point guard Damian Lillard had. On March 28, 2018, he got permission to miss a road game against the Memphis Grizzlies so that he could travel home to see the birth of his firstborn son. After 46 hours of labor that ended in a C-section, he and his wife were thrilled and relieved to welcome little Damian Jr. into the world. But that evening, they got word that Lillard's half-brother had been shot five times in an altercation outside of a mall. What was worse, they believe he'd been targeted because of his connection to the NBA star. How do you cope with a life that seems so random? How do you deal with circumstances that seem so unpredictable? How do you enjoy life when you can't control it? Those are the questions that we're asking as we come to today's passage. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 22. It contains the most famous, but not necessarily the most understood passage in the entire book. Follow along at Ecclesiastes 3, starting at verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be, to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already, that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them that they may see what they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is, is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. 
who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives three principles for enjoying life when you can't control it. The first is this, accept life as it is, not as you'd like it to be. We can often bring a dreamlike denial of reality to the way that we see the world. But when we do that, we set ourselves up for disappointment and confusion. Joy isn't possible when we don't accept life as it is instead of how we'd like it to be. Now, as I was reading through the first eight verses, anyone over 50 was probably silently humming, turn, turn, turn from the birds. If you don't know it, you can look it up on YouTube. The song quotes these verses almost word for word, and they're also read at many funerals. But I'm not sure how many people actually hear what they're saying. After an introduction in verse 1, the poem starts in verse 2, telling us there's a time to be born and a time to die. And then it ends in verse 8 by saying there's a time for war and a time for peace. The poem gives 14 pairs of circumstances that cover the full gamut of life. The poetry makes us feel like there's this beautiful symmetry to everything. But if we're honest, we don't normally live like we believe that. Everybody has time for a baby to be born. But as James Bond taught us last year, there's no time to die. We're all for peace, but does anyone think there's a good time for war? Or look at verse 6. A time to seek and a time to lose? What's that all about? We all love finding stuff, but nobody likes losing things. Or when it says, a time to keep and a time to cast away. We love getting things, not throwing them away. Look at verse 1, though, because it puts the poem in context. It says, for everything there is a reason and a time for every matter under heaven. How many of you would say fall is your favorite season? If it is... You're loving the weather right now, right? Any winter people? You're starting to get excited because you know that snow can't be far off. If you're a summer person, you're a little annoyed right now because fall came and took away all the hot weather and pool days. Here's the point. By seeing life, death, laughing, weeping, celebrating, and mourning as seasons, we learn to see them differently. We know that everyone has their favorite season but it only ever lasts for a few months. And if you're in a hard season, that won't last forever either. That's the way the seasons of life are. You don't hold on to them forever. And when we try to, we're working against how God has designed this world. I remember when my parents took a trip to Jamaica. My mom bought the biggest and brightest straw hat I've ever seen. But when she came back, she never wore it. She was trying to hang on to the moment, bring a piece of Jamaica home with her to keep the celebration going. The thing is, you can't keep the celebration going. <laughs> there's a time to go on vacation, and there's a time to get back to work. The other thing about seasons is that we're not in charge of them. You don't get to schedule what's going to make you laugh or cry this week. Nobody plans their death on their calendar. We can't choose the seasons but we can prepare for them. And that's really the point of the poem. 
It's helping us to celebrate the seasons we enjoy, but to prepare for the ones we don't. It's helping us to acknowledge that there's a give and take to our circumstances. It's helping us to accept life as it is, not as we'd like it to be. Now, as you begin to really think about this poem and its message, maybe you want to object. You'd like the earth to rotate on a different axis. You want a different set of rules. And that's where the philosopher turns next. He teaches us to revere God instead of playing God. Joy isn't possible when we don't accept our role or our limitations. Revere God instead of playing God. Take a look at verse 11 with me. It's really important. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. It's saying that God takes each of the seasons of life and he arranges them perfectly. He orders them in such a way that they accomplish his good purposes. He's made everything beautiful in its time. But it also identifies a problem. The problem is this. We're smarter than animals, but dumber than God. It says God has put eternity into man's heart. We have a sense of the divine. And because of that, we can have relationship with him. But we don't see the big picture. We can't zoom out and see everything. And even if we did, God would have to explain how it all fits. So God is doing something beautiful with the seasons. But we can't see it yet. We get glimpses of it, but ultimately we have to trust God. And that's the point. See what he says in verse 14? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Now, all through Ecclesiastes, the philosopher has been saying that life is vanity. Life is like a puff of smoke. Nothing lasts. But now that now he says that whatever God does endures forever. It's a little bit like when my dad was building our basement when I was growing up. I was about five and I wanted to help. So he gave me some scrap wood to work with. But he was the one who was nailing in all the framing. He was the one who was putting up the drywall. The wood that I hammered with my plastic tools eventually got thrown out. What my dad did is what they now call their basement. Verse 14 says that the world is like that. God's in charge of the seasons. He runs the universe. He deals with the things that last forever. But the little phrase at the end of the verse says that he's designed the world that way so that people fear before him. He's done it this way so that we would stand in awe of him, so we'd worship him and trust him. And it's very difficult to experience joy if we don't. Let me explain why. When your children are five or six, you don't usually talk to them about mortgage payments and property taxes. You just tell them you can't buy all the toys that they might want. You probably don't go into detail about circadian rhythms and brain development. You just tell them it's bedtime and they need to go to sleep. And while you do try to explain as much as you think they'll understand, the fact is you do most of the work and make a thousand decisions on their behalf and you do it so that they can enjoy their lives. <laughs> when they're that age, part of it is you do it so they can play. And to the extent that they follow your lead and trust that you know what you're doing, 
your child will be content and happy. If they spend the day fighting and second-guessing you, it's their loss and unfortunately yours too. What the philosopher in Ecclesiastes is teaching us is that we're all like children in God's universe. The seasons of life should teach us we're not in charge, and they should move us to revere God instead of playing God. They should stir up our respect for God and our trust in His plan. When we do that, we can do what children do when they feel secure and cared for. They play. That's why verse 12 and 13 says this. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. When you start trusting God instead of second-guessing him, you can let him run the universe and you can enjoy your life and do something good with it. When you revere God instead of playing God, you can trust that he's arranging the seasons of your life as part of his good plan. And you can focus on making the most of them, making an impact with them. That's God's gift to us. Now, maybe you've been tracking with the message so far, but there's something that's bothered you about it. You realize you have to accept life as it is, not as you'd like it to be. And you get that you need to revere God instead of playing God. But as you look at the world or your own life, there's so much that doesn't seem fair. If you're honest, the injustice of this world makes it hard for you to enjoy your life. That's where the final principle of this passage comes in. The principle is live in light of God's judgment instead of in denial of it. Watch what the philosopher says in verse 16. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I want to trust God with my circumstances, but there's so much in this world that's not fair. Putin announced this week that four regions of Ukraine are now part of Russia. In Iran, the death of Masa Amini has set off protests across the country and even in our own city. And maybe the injustice in your own life is creating just as much anger. What people will often do is take out their clipboards and make decisions about what God is like and how trustworthy he is based on how far they, how fair they perceive their life to be. If you think this world is often unjust, the Bible doesn't disagree with you. But watch what it says in verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. It just isn't possible to keep your joy and sometimes even maintain your sanity if you don't believe in God's final judgment. I'll bet you can think of someone in your life right now who either doesn't believe in God's judgment or lives as if it doesn't exist. And you can see how the world's injustice consumes them. The lack of fairness in life is destroying them. And maybe that's you this morning. Hear God's word in Romans 12, 19, when he says this, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Or hear the warning of Hebrews 9, 27. That's where it says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 
The person who reveres God instead of playing God can find peace in a world of injustice because they know that God will set things right. That doesn't mean that we don't seek justice or that we don't do our part, but it relieves us of the burden of it. It doesn't have to consume us. It's not all on our shoulders. But it's not just the bad guys who will face the judgment. The philosopher says in verse 17, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And that's both a warning and an encouragement. It's a warning because if you're not standing under the pardon of God that's been made available in Jesus Christ, that day will come to you with terror and dread. And so if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, come to him now while you can. But it's also an encouragement because it means that our decisions and actions in this world aren't meaningless after all. The philosopher has been arguing that life is like a puff of smoke. All is vanity. But through the judgment, God who rules forever assigns eternal weight to the way that we have lived. We can make a lasting impact after all. Our decisions can, in fact, affect our eternity. Our lives can have more meaning than we otherwise might have thought. How can you hold on to peace and hope in a world where your son can be born and your brother shot on the same day? First, start by accepting life as it is, not as you'd like it to be. If you're in your favorite season, enjoy it, but prepare for the next one. If you're in a hard season, remember the good ones and know that this one isn't forever. Second, Revere God instead of playing God. When you let God run the universe, you can make the most of the season that you're in. You can give your energy to enjoying the gifts that you, you do have and doing the good that you, you're capable of. And finally, live in light of God's judgment instead of in denial of it. Your stuff won't last forever, but your decisions carry eternal weight. And there isn't a more important decision than the one to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage. It reminds us how much you care about us. You care about our joy. You care about not only what we face in this life, but you want us to, to thrive in that. You want us to find peace and meaning and hope and all of that. So thank you for reminding us of the seasons of life. Help us not to live in denial of them, to pre pretend that life is different than you've created it to be. But help us to find hope in the fact that there is a wise and loving God who has made everything beautiful in its time. One day in your presence, we'll be able to see the big picture, to see how it all fits together. Give us the patience and the faith to wait upon you for that day. Thank you, Father, that you run the universe so that we can be relieved of those burdens and find joy and make the most of each day. And so help us not to play God. Help us not to second guess you, but to 
give ourselves to doing good and to enjoying your good gifts. And Father, we do thank you. Thank you for the warning and the encouragement that your judgment is. We don't have to live our lives burdened and frustrated by all of the injustice that we see around us. We don't have to carry around revenge as if that's our job. Thank you, Father, that you will one day make all things right. Help us to wait on you for that day. Help us to trust judgment to you. But help us to examine ourselves and uh, each of our days in light of that coming day when we will stand before you in judgment. And Father, if there is anyone who has not turned to Jesus Christ for the pardon that there is in him, draw them to yourself. Give them the courage to believe. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see how to enjoy life when you can't control it. When you accept life as it is, you revere God, you live in light of his judgment, it frees you up to make the most of whatever season you might be in. If today's talk has stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, leave a comment, share the link, and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.